0: Hallelujah. Jesus is worthy, isn't he? Praise his name. Well, I want to read from 2 Timothy chapter 2 as we kick off this new series today. Real to real. The wonderful English language uh, that is a difficult language to learn, isn't it? And uh, s- several words that sound the same and yet spell differently. I'm still trying to learn my own language. uh, But we're looking at real to real. How do we take movies that represent things of culture, things of life, and from them apply lessons to real life, my life, your life, in real circumstances? I want to read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, which is going to be the main uh, text for us today. Paul the Apostle, the one sent forth by Jesus Christ, the glorious, exalted one, writes to Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith, and he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter... He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue, notice that, righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. I want to preach a message today titled, Pursuit, Pursuit. And before I do, I'd like to pray. Father, I thank you for access to your throne of grace, throne of mercy. Through Jesus Christ father I thank you that even when I didn't pursue you but pursued my own will my own lust my own desires Lord you pursued me through Jesus and Lord I pray that you would pursue people today by your Holy Spirit that Holy Spirit you would draw hearts and minds to you that even Those, Lord Jesus, that know You, that they would be drawn to a deeper pursuit, hunger and thirst for You and Your kingdom today. I thank You. The power of darkness has been broken, and that Jesus Christ is Lord. Holy Spirit, glorify the King of kings today in this place. I yield to You, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been known time to time or often to ask people their top 25 favorite movies. Sometimes even if they haven't spent time thinking of that list, I say, well then just give me some of your top 50 movies. I do this in hopes that I can discover or learn something about the person. Oftentimes, people's favorite movies reveals their personality why they like certain genres or certain type of movies. Uh, But in preparing for this series, I scrolled through many lists of what was the most watched movies of all time. I looked at many lists of the top rated movies of all times, both by those in the professional movie industry versus those that are just fans or public uh, voting. Uh, I looked at lists regarding what was the top movies for income. What, what movies, what were the top movies that grossed the amount, the, the greatest amount of money? And as I looked through these lists, one thing stood out. I found that the most watched movie of all time is the Jesus film. Is the Jesus film. So, I'm just gonna preach about the cross and the resurrection today and call it a day, and we can be on our way. <laughs> no, but the Jesus film estimated, watch this, I'm not gonna stutter or misspeak, six billion with the B. Six billion. Now, sometimes that is people that have watched it multiple times, but one of the reasons is, is it's been translated. By crusade for Christ and other ministries into multiple languages. It's also a movie where they're not trying to make money, and the gospel has went forth in places like North Korea and China and places that are not a context for open, you know, communication of the gospel without persecution. Six billion though the Jesus film. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Now, as I looked at these lists though, of Favorite movies, uh, you know, movie buffs, favorite picks, the movie industries, top movies. You find on the list some things that you would expect, like Titanic, The Godfather, I won't do my impression, uh, Indiana Jones, Shawshank Redemption, Greece, Star Wars, the 1977 version, Lion King, The Sound of Music, Ben Hur. Schindler's List, E.T. In fact, I got a text that uh, my little one watched E.T. last night and uh, it led her to tears. I don't know if that was a good thing or not. May God's mercy and blood cover her in Jesus' name. Uh, Wizard of Oz, Lord of the Rings, Gone with the Wind, Forrest Gump, The Ten Commandments, Saving Private Ryan, Lawrence of Arabia, Rocky. Home Alone. But then you find many that might be surprising on these lists, such as Psycho, Terminator 2, Seven Samurai. Some of you younger is going to have to look that one up for sure. Pirates of the Caribbean, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Alien, War for the Planet of the Apes, Shazam. Are we serious? Citizen Kane, The Exorcist, really. The Deer Hunter, I tried to watch that one. I didn't make it past five minutes. I didn't know that they said the F word so much back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. Didn't know that was legal back then. Uh, Armageddon, Casino Royale, The Mummy, scary movie. Are we serious? Top top movie of all time. Groundhog Day, that was torment to uh, my soul. The Usual Suspects. But there was a movie in uh, 2006 that was released. It was titled The Pursuit of Happiness. It was rated PG-13. I thought maybe due to the amount of persistence, commitment, and hard work contained in the movie. You know, those things are becoming more and more culturally offensive. Uh, I'm not sure why it was PG-13, but it's based on the true story of Chris Gardner, if you're not familiar with it. It's set in the 1980s, and it's played by actor Will Smith. Now, Chris Gardner was 28 years old the first time he met his father, his biological father, and he was determined at that point that his children were going to know who their father was. He was, at the time, selling medical devices, and the movie portrays that this time in his life as he is selling medical de- devices was not as easy as expected or hoped. And during this difficult time, he is experiencing financial hardship. The mother of his son leaves him. And so Chris and his son are then faced with homelessness, joblessness, severe financial hardship. Someone like Chris, something that they never thought they would face or experience. And then they are thrust into a pursuit. They're thrust into the pursuit of happiness. Hey. Yeah, sorry, sorry I couldn't make it home on time. Chris, uh, I missed my ship. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry about that. Look, um, I'm on my way right now. Are you, you alright with, with Christopher? I'm leaving. Chris, I'm leaving. What? Do you hear what I said? I have my things together, and I'm taking our son, and we're going to leave now. I'm going to put the phone down. Linda, I'm going wait to a minute. Hold we are off. leaving. It was right then that I started thinking about Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence and the part about our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can actually never have it no matter what. How did he know that? Here he is seeking to make money selling a medical device, and he gets the news that you just saw in the clip, and he's now thrust into this pursuit, this pursuit that the movie's about, the pursuit of happiness. And yet here in this moment, in this crossroad, in this moment of great, Obstacles and challenges. He begins to think about what Thomas Jefferson said. The right to life. The right to liberty. And the pursuit of happiness. And he makes that comment. How did he know to put in there? Not the right to happiness, but the right to pursue happiness. Let me talk for a moment about pursuit. The word pursuit is defined as an effort to secure or obtain. A quest to obtain something. For Chris, his pursuit during this time that the movie clip showed was to secure a steady, stable job. A steady, stable job that would enable Him and his boy to have a consistent place to live. To be able to secure enough money to have the necessities of life like food, and shelter, clothing, money for transportation. Then only from there could he pursue a career or making a living. You know, the love of money may be the root of all evil. But to have no money is to lack defense in our pursuit. In fact, Solomon says that for wisdom is a defense, but he says, as money is also a defense, Ecclesiastes 7.12. Listen, money is a defense because it will defend your time. In the story of Chris Gardner, he had to spend so much time trying to figure out who's going to watch his boy. Why he's trying to make a sales call. Why he's trying to make a sales pitch. Why he's trying to get money. He had so much time wasted and having to stand in line to see if he would be one of the people that would be able to enter the shelter for that night because of limited space and limited bed. See, money can defend your time. Money will defend you from worry. He had to worry. Would he have enough money to eat enough money to feed his boy, But money is the defense to such worry. Money will defend you from stress. It will defend you from forms of instability. It'll defend you from food insecurity. It'll defend you from an inability to plan. Chris's lack of money, he couldn't come up with a long five-year plan. He didn't know from one day to the next where they would lay their head. He didn't know from one day to next who would watch his child. He wasn't able to think long term. He wasn't able to plan long term. But money is a defense. It defends defend you from feeling helpless. The love of money is the root of all evil. But listen to me, poverty is the destruction of the poor. That's not my opinion. It's not a preacher's opinion. It's not a denomination's opinion. That's Scripture. That's God's opinion. Proverbs ten fifteen 15 says the destruction of the poor is poverty. Now, research shows that in surveys of life satisfaction, another way of phrasing happiness, that people who make anywhere from $6,000 to $20,000 show greatly less satisfaction of life or experience of happiness versus those that make 50,000 so research shows that the life satisfaction or happiness reported between people who make from 6,000 to 20,000 versus those that make 50,000 is significant is significant why because listen money is a defense money is a defense but here's the other end of the spectrum that's often missed in America is there is empirical research regarding happiness that has shown that the more money above 50,000 does not in fact make a significant difference in someone's happiness the ultra rich are not any happier than the average middle class Person And sometimes, to the contrary, they're more miserable. So listen to me. i got to be honest and clear up front. Money is a defense, but having more money beyond that necessary defense doesn't necessarily equate to more happiness. Here's Chris. He's in this pursuit of happiness. For him, the pursuit, as the clip shows, was to get money that would defend him from not knowing where him and his boy would be able to lay their head. Money that would defend him from worry and concerns of where the next meal would come and would he have money to pay for the cab and transportation. And as he's thrust into that pursuit and he begins to face obstacles, he begins to think, why did Thomas Jefferson talk about the Declaration of Independence, the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit? Of happiness. For us today, we need to consider that the context of the Declaration of Independence and Thomas Jefferson, when they use the phrase the pursuit of happiness, that it's connected to the right to be able to pursue work that you desire. And then the right to have the ability to utilize or spend that money you make from work as you desire without the government creating laws, barriers, and context that would hinder all Americans from doing so. See, listen, remember, the Declaration of Independence was in response to what the King of England was doing and its effects on the colonies. So often when we... Here, the pursuit of happiness, we don't think about the context, the context of it, that it was a phrase that talked about economics and economy and the type of economy where we have a right as individuals to pursue industry and careers and using our skills and our gifts that God has given us that are enjoyable. And then from our work, we receive finances. And then we have the right to use those finances as we desire, as we wish, not as we are demanded or hindered or told by the King of England. This is, listen, this is like the concept that Solomon gives in Ecclesiastes about things that's happening under the sun. He says, Under the sun, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. That in your labor, there's a goodness, there's an enjoyment under the sun. That in your labor, you're experiencing pleasure and delight. It's a form of happiness. He said, this also I saw was from the hand of God. That's why in the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness, they said, it is a undeniable, it is a God-given right. The Pursuit of happiness. This is what Solomon speaks about. He goes on in Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13. I know that nothing is better under the sun than for mankind than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. Notice it says, then to rejoice and do good in their lives. Listen, that is the qualifying measurement for acceptable type of work. That it's good work. There's some industries, I, I, I caught some, uh, I never watched it before, but On National Geographic, they have this series about drug ink. And it talks about the illegal drug industry that is obviously absolute brought devastation. Not just to our country, but to the world. Well, that's not good work. That's not good work, but he says that there's a rejoicing in good work. That's the qualifying measure when it comes to the pursuit of happiness. There's some work it's not good work. So even if it would make you happy, there's not a right to pursue it. But here is Chris and he's dealing with something he thought he'd never face. Homelessness, food insecurity. Difficulty of his son's mother leaving. The emotional pain, the instability. And he's facing obstacle after obstacle. Seemingly barrier after barrier. But he's in pursuit. At the time, if he was able to sell a the medical device that he sold, he would make about $300 to $400 a month. This is in the early 1980s. But he had no savings at the time. He had used his savings to invest up front in buying these new medical devices. I don't know about you, but maybe you face things in life that you invested in and you thought it would bring back a certain return or it would happen on your timeline or it would happen in your way and here is chris now facing obstacles that how he thought things would go or not is not going that way how he thought his selling these medical devices would go it's not going that way now he's facing obstacles of where I'm gonna sleep and where am I gonna have money to eat and am I gonna make it to the bus on time to, to make it to this appointment with this doctor. And, and here he is, obstacle after obstacle, and all of the stresses of life having to manage finding childcare for his son, being a single dad. See, listen to me. Having interest in pursuing something is one thing, having persistence is another thing. For Chris, in the movie, the pursuit was for work that would lead to financial stability for him and his son. But for followers of Jesus today that are here, the call is pursuit and character stability for every good kingdom work. For Chris, the pursuit of happiness was for some stability to provide for him and his son in life. For followers of Jesus, the call of pursuit is in character stability so that we would be prepared for every good kingdom work. I don't know if you see the challenge in that yet, but let me explain. This brings us to our main text in 2 Timothy 2 and 21. Paul says here to Timothy, he says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master. Prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness. Someone say righteousness. Faith. Someone say faith. Love. Someone say love. Peace. Someone say peace. With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Notice what Paul says Hey, Timothy, I want you to pursue. Being significant. Timothy, I want you to pursue being successful. Timothy, I want you to pursue honor. Pursue fame. Pursue the applause of man. Pursue riches. Hey, Timothy, I want you to pursue worldly tangibles. Pursue a lake house. Pursue a fully funded pension. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, pursue righteousness. Faith, love, peace. Do You see the difficulty. He says, hey, Timothy, pursue things that are first intangible. See, the Bible says faith is like a seed. Righteousness is like a seed. That's why the Bible says there are fruits of righteousness. Faith is like a seed, that's why it says that there then is the work of faith. Love is first like a seed, it's it's unseen, it's it's not tangible to the natural senses, but then it can lead to the labor of love. The difficulty for those of us that are followers of Jesus is that our pursuit and our call is not to pursue tangible things, but things that are first. Intangible He says righteousness He says faith He says love He reiterates this to the Corinthians In 1 Corinthians 14.11 When Paul says pursue love Then he says peace it's In Hebrews 12.14 It says the same It says pursue peace Paul again in Romans 14.19 Says pursue the things Which make for peace The Apostle Peter says the same in 1 Peter 3.11. He says, seek peace and pursue it. So here's the difficulty is that as followers of Jesus, we're called to pursue, but we're called to pursue things that are first intangible to our senses. Therefore, it's so easy for us to get distracted. It's so easy for us to get swept up into different pursuit, pursuit of things that are tangible. Things that are more easily measured. Things that are more easily applauded by those around us or society or culture. But Paul reiterates it again to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.11. He says, but you, O man of God, woman of God, flee these things and pursue... There it is again. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. I love that. Because when he says pursue these things... He attaches to it what it looks like. He says, it's a fight. It's not a, we have a vacation spot. My family goes to every once in a while. I'm talking about like my large extended family. And they have what's called the lazy river, you know. Notice what Paul says. He doesn't say that this pursuit for the things that we're called to as followers of Jesus is like the lazy river. That you just lay on your raft and then the river does it all. No, no, it's a fight. It's a fight. Because there is all these distractions, there's all these other voices saying, no, pursue the tangible, pursue the immediate. The call for us as followers of Jesus, no, there's a pursuit. But it's not after the tangibles. That to live outwardly as a man of God and a woman of God in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation... There has to be a pursuit. But you got to understand the pursuit is going to be a fight. you got to have a mentality and an understanding that it's going to be a fight. It's not just going to, by happenstance, happen. You're not just going to passively find yourself experiencing the intangibles that you're called to pursue. You're not just going to listen without a fight arrive at growing faith. Faith that's established. Faith that's complete. What the Bible calls a, a mature, perfect faith. You're not going to find yourself just automatically maturing in love. Automatically looking at how you can put others before yourself. No, no, no. There's got to be a pursuit, men and women of God. And you've got to understand it's a fight. It's a fight for focus. It's a fight for attention. It's a fight of determination. It's a fight of values. In 1 Timothy 6.11, he says some things that he said in 2 Timothy 2.21. He says righteousness again. He says faith again. He says love again. But here he he mentions godliness. It's like Hebrews 12.14 where it says pursue holiness. Then he adds here patience and gentleness. Patience and gentleness. He says pursue these things, O man of God. When then he says it's fight the good fight of faith. You know what the fight means? It's going to take persistence. It's one thing to be interested in, in having growing faith. It's one thing to be interested in having uh, God's love increase in your life. It's one thing to be interested in wanting to experience more of the peace of the kingdom of God. It's another thing to persist. To fight for it. Hosea 6.3 says pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Romans 14, 19 says, Pursue the things by which one may edify another. Listen, too often, I've seen this, I know Pastor Craig, he, he ministers greatly on this often to youth leaders and, and other people in the body of Christ as he has a decade plus experience in ministering to teenagers. But so often he's noted and we note and remind people that the commanded teenagers to, to flee things, flee that sin, Flee that snare. Flee that temptation. Flee that pit of despair and those wrong choices. So often, the command to flee is not followed up with the clear call to pursue. See, listen, so often you, even as an adult, you hear God's commands warning you. Don't take on more debt than you should. Don't get overextended. Don't lose all the margin in your life. Don't lose focus of eternity. And we hear so often the command to flee and we forget that it's to be followed up with a clear call so that we can pursue something. Listen, it's a lot easier to flee when we have a greater thing to pursue. It's a lot easier to abstain when we have a greater thing to obtain. It's a lot easier to not get distracting with the fleeting pleasures of this world, when you have a focus on something greater that you're seeking to obtain. See, listen, it's a matter of what you assign value and happiness to. It's a matter of value. Value. Like like some people, they can't roll out of bed before 11 a.m. And you got some people up at like 3.30 and 4 a.m. and they're in the gym. And they're squatting like 420 pounds and they're running laps and they ain't even had a coffee and they're like, woohoo, for life. And it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? What's wrong with that person? Listen, it's a matter of what you assign value to. And because they put so much value assigned to getting up that early, I don't know why you would do that, but they do anyway. And, but it's what you assign value to enables you. And this is what the gospel teaches. Paul says that there are things in our life that it's not a matter of God absolutely making you do it or calling you to it, but it's opportunity there. And he calls this a faith conviction. Romans 14, and he says this, that when you have that type of core value conviction, your God's able to make you stand. Ain't that good news? That when you assign value to something, when you say, I want this, I'm going after this, that God's able to make you stand in the very thing that you speak. That's what James wrote about. He says that in the New Testament, there's a law of liberty. That you can speak some things and say, I'm going after some things, and God can enable you to do what it is that you say. To reach what it is you pursue. See, listen, God is not just a God who has commands to abstain from things. He is a God that has commands for us to pursue things. God says to abstain so that we may obtain. So often you think that God's word to you where it says don't do this, abstain from that, you think it's a killjoy. No, He's trying to get you free enough to pursue something that will lead to a a lasting value a greater experience in life. And that's why Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he said, listen, he said godliness has profit both for the life to come, but and the life now. See, temporary lust and temporary pleasures and some wrong things that we could assign value to, they might bring a little temporary profit. But they can't bring a lasting profit and definitely can't profit in the age to come. But Paul said godliness can do it. That if you'll pursue godliness, the intangible, if you'll pursue that which culture maybe doesn't celebrate, it'll bring profit to the age to come and the life that now is. So devastating to to, to watch. I've been out of that sort of environment or context or even thinking about the context of drug addiction and, and just the, the horrors of what... Happens to people for a long time, but as I said and watched some of those shows yesterday, it's just gut wrenching. Gut wrenching. Someone addicted to smoking crack, and they will do all they can to get the money, did it, and it lasts 10 minutes. A high for 10 minutes. And then boom, down, and now you gotta find it again just to get another 10 minutes. But there's a pursuit followers of Jesus that profits not just to the life to come but the life that now is. See, God deals with the negatives so that we are free to pursue the positives of the plan that He has for us. God deals with the negatives because He knows there are obstacles that would keep us from experiencing the positives of his plan. Some of you are struggling in this as you're growing in your walk with Jesus and you're seeking to live out your faith or live out your relationship to Jesus in the context you're in. And, and what we know that even from psychology is listen, you want to make it harder to fulfill your lust and the negative temporary wants that you may have, and you want to make it easier. To pursue the things that God has for you. It's like what Pastor Craig says. Coming to Sunday gatherings, listen, it's not a Sunday morning decision. It's a Saturday evening decision. What is that? Well, how do you make a Saturday evening decision easier for Sunday morning? Well, you go ahead and lay out all your clothes. You go ahead and set your alarm. You remove all the obstacles that would keep you from more easily waking up and going to the gathering of the saints of God. Hello! Hello! I'm talking to you online. <laughs> but listen, you deliberately construct obstacles between you and the negative things that would try to keep you from God's best. So you want to make it harder to fulfill your lust and temporary wants and make it easier to pursue the things of God's plan. I read about a guy that was doing research and he liked psychology and stuff and and, uh, he understood that he could grow in in areas of life that he had never experienced before. He wanted to learn to play the guitar. But his guitar was in his closet. He even had a plan, you know, like a checklist, like play the guitar every day. But because it was never a habit, he didn't have the thinking and and the desires and the natural habit internally to lead him in that action because it was never in his life. And even though he had a chart and plan to do it, because the guitar was in the closet, it was so hard of an obstacle to get up, open the closet, and get it out to do it. So you know what he did? He took it out of the closet and put it right next to his bed. And by removing that one additional step was enough to help him. What I'm trying to tell some people today is you're, you're struggling with how to move forward and what you want to do is you want to make some deliberate obstacles to the things that would hold you back and you want to remove any obstacles from what you're called to pursue. Someone say flee to pursue. Say pursue. Actually never have it. No matter what. How did he know that? Hey. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Not even me. All right. right. You got a dream? You got to protect it. People can't do something themselves. They want to tell you, you can't do it. You want something? Go get it. Period. You want something? You want a job? You want a career? You want to create, engineer something? You want to make a product? You want to start a business? You want to accomplish something? You want to get a degree? Go get it. Period. Period. Go get it. I love that because he he tells his son, look, if you got a pursuit for happiness, and what's the context? The right to be able to pursue good work. Go get it, period. Don't let your father... Don't let your mother, don't let your upbringing, don't let the subculture that you grew up in, don't let anything talk you out from believing that God's given you a right to be able to pursue it. If it's good work, if it's honorable work, go get it. Period. Period. See, remember, pursuit is an effort to secure or obtain the quest. To obtain. You know why he says you got to protect it? Why he told his son? It's because people will tell you you can't. Listen, that's another way to say that the world is filled with people and the devil uses people to become an obstacle in front of you to try to get you to believe and think that you can't go get it, period. Don't let people who's believed the lie about themselves frame your mind and get you believing lies on what God can enable you to go get. And if you're watching and you your context where you live or grew up or live currently is like a crab bucket. That every time you try to move forward and go get it, another crap just pulls you down. Because by God, if they can't get out and won't do what it takes to get out, they're not going to let you. I want to tell you, you got a bucket here where there's no ceiling. Why don't you come and be a part of these people right here? And we'll encourage you to go get it. Go get it. Here's what he's telling his son, though. Listen, you got to learn to normalize struggle. We really are about the third generation in. You could maybe say a little more, but at least the third generation in this country experiencing prosperity. And we are now, because of that and now, coronavirus and other issues in our nation, we are experiencing the fragile minds and characters, character of us in the Western world in America. Because we've not done well in normalizing to the next generation, struggle is normal. Obstacles are normal. People trying to get in your way, normal. People trying to get you to doubt what God's made available for you, normal. Challenges, normal. It takes effort to obtain, normal, it takes effort to start that business, it takes effort to start that patent, it takes effort to get that degree. You've Gotta normalize that. It's not a lazy river. And yet you can still go get it. It's a pursuit. And a pursuit takes effort to obtain it. Proverbs 132 says. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Wow. Listen, here we're not even talking about in the beginning drug addiction destroying. We're, we're not talking about major sins that culturally our people talk about destroy. We're talking about first in the heart and the mind, complacent. Losing the thinking. That if I want to obtain it, I'm going to have to persist and go get it. It's not just going to show up. It's not going to show up in an Amazon truck. You're waiting for the FedEx. Good luck. At least in my experience, I'm praying for them. Now listen, complacent fools will destroy them. What's it saying? Consistent and persistent effort and perseverance is necessary. But in that, have you ever wondered if struggle is normal, if struggle is normative for all of us, why does some people's struggle lead to hope in their heart and life and other people's struggle lead to helplessness or hopelessness? Why don't many pursue or continue to pursue? And when I ask myself that question, you know what I hear? Go to the ant. Go to the ant. Proverbs 6 and 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So I looked up sluggard. It said disposition, watch this, to avoid exertion, disliking work or effort. The sluggard is one that has a posture. That in my pursuit, it's not going to take effort. It's not going to take persistence. It's not going to take diligence. That if it's God's will, it's just going to happen. If it's God's will, someone's just going to give it to me. If it's God's will, it's just going to be handed in my lap. No, no, no. The slugger doesn't normalize obstacles and persistence. And therefore, they begin to become vulnerable and take a posture where lies and passivity begins to be in their life. Proverbs 6, 7 says, which having no captain, leader, overseer, or or rule, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. You know what this means? That one of the reasons why some people struggle leads to helplessness or hopelessness is they don't have no accountability to motivate. What it's saying is that the ant has an internal accountability. An ant doesn't need another ant. They have an internal accountability. They don't ask themselves day to day, do I feel like doing it? They internally go get it. Go get the food. Do the role. You know, in all God's creation, we as humans are the only part of God's creation that has an ability to resist His design and intent for us. The ant just internally, don't even need an overseer, goes and gets it. Do you know what this means? Some people don't persist because they don't have accountability. And they don't have the internal self-leadership and personal effective rule of their life. And listen, we all at some times in life won't have that. That's why God didn't design us to do life alone. Proverbs 6, 9, How long will you slumber, old sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. When it says you're like an armed man, if you've ever been held up, I hope you haven't, but if you've ever been held at gunpoint, listen, you know what the feeling is? Helpless. And what it's saying is, is that the slugger, because they begin to believe lies and take the wrong posture, they start experiencing feelings of helplessness. Though they're not helpless. Watch this. Often we think, that it is our feelings that so often determine our actions. But in fact, we know by research, it's our actions that determine our feelings. And then our feelings continue to determine our actions. It's circular. Listen to me, this is why persistence matters. Because when you have persistence, even when you don't feel like it, those actions of persistence will begin to affect your feelings. But persistence matters because, listen, as you go get what God has for you, there'll be days that you don't feel like it. But you persist anyway, and when you persist, those actions will, in the end, begin to influence your emotions. And therefore, your persistence gets easier and easier. You know the easiest time to stop a rock when it's about to roll? is right at the beginning. But once it starts rolling down the mountain, good luck stopping it. So the enemy tries to get you right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, when you say, you know what? I'm going to pursue what God has for me. I'm going to pursue what God has for my career. I'm going to pursue what God has for my marriage. I'm going to pursue what God has for me. You know when He shows up the most? Right then in the beginning. If He can stop it in seed form, it's a lot easier than to stop it in full bloom. Steve Meyer, a professor, he was being interviewed by Angela Duckworth. He said, I worry a lot about kids in poverty. Steve said, they're getting a lot of helpless experiences. They're not getting enough mastery experiences. They're not learning, I can do this. I can succeed in that. My speculation is that those earlier experiences can have really enduring effects. You need to learn that there's a contingency between your actions and what happens to you. If I do something, then something will happen. Angela continues saying, the scientific research is very clear that experiencing trauma without control can be debilitating. But I also worry about the people who cruise through life, friction-free, for a long, long time before encountering their first real failure. They have so little practice falling and getting up again. They have so many reasons to stick with a fixed mindset. I see a lot of invisibly vulnerable high achievers stumble in young adulthood and struggle to get up again. I call them the fragile perfects. Sometimes I meet fragile perfects in my office after a midterm or a final. Very quickly it becomes clear that these bright and wonderful people know how to succeed but not how to fall or fail. Listen, I want to tell you that as we pursue, there's going to be learning and learning includes failure at times and falling. But that's why persistent matters. That's why we have to persist that even when we're experiencing some of the emotions of a misstep or a failure, we don't allow what we're feeling to keep us from pursuing. We persist in our pursuit. Think about Chris. This is what he demonstrated. In fact, the movie shows he was walking along the street during this difficult time in his life, and this man pulls up in a red sports car, a very expensive, nice, luxury sports car. Now watch this. What intrigued me is Chris's reaction. You know what his reaction wasn't? Psh, I bet he cheated to get that. I bet his parents gave him that. I bet he did something illegal. I bet, he, I bet he's unethical. I don't know. You know what he did? He went to him. He says, I have two questions. What do you do? And how do you do it? Oh my gosh, listen. Chris in that moment recognized that he needed to learn and he was a learner willing to learn. Listen, and that is a type of mindset that we know makes the difference now on those that persist or those that believe lies that says you can't go get it. There was a mindset. And that's why this phrase, he says he looked at them and everybody seemed happy. Because for him, happy, what he saw was is they weren't worried about where they were going to sleep that night. They were able to focus on what they were doing in the moment. They weren't worried about was the person that they left their kid uh, in, you know, with. Were they doing a good job and taking care? And he said, they all looked so happy. And then he, said, he had this thought, watch this. Why couldn't I look like that? Why couldn't I look like that? See, listen, that's a mindset. The pursuit of happiness. We now know that there's not just what's called learned helplessness. But the good news is there's what we now know is what's called learned optimism. And some of you up to this point in your life, you might not be an optimist. You you might have a learned sense of helplessness or hopelessness. But you know what that means? That our mind can be changed and you can learn this mindset. You can learn to be a learner. You can learn that you can grow. You can learn that you can go get it. You can learn persistence. You can learn just not just interest, but persistence in the thing you're interested to see, the result and the reward. Angela Duckworth says optimists habitually search for temporary and specific causes of their suffering, whereas pessimists assume permanent and pervasive causes are to blame. Chris didn't look at this moment in his life and say the reason this has happened is because I'm permanently a failure. I'm permanently hopeless. I permanently make wrong decisions. I permanently don't have what it takes to get a stable job. No, he had a growth mindset. That yes maybe I didn't make a clear decision in this investment and and maybe it was harder than I thought to sell these things but he knew that that didn't define him. I want to talk to some people today and God's word tells you that you maybe had some failures and you maybe had some mistakes but they don't have to define you. That your struggles in this moment don't have to define you. That God still says you have a right under heaven to pursue some things but in your pursuit you got a normalized struggle. It might be Harder than it that you ever thought it would be. It might take longer than you ever thought it would take, but you got a right to go get it. And when God sees that your purpose in your heart, he stands with you. Can I hear an amen? Psychologist Aaron Beck has an approach built on the foundational insight that the same objective event. Losing a job, getting into an argument with a coworker, forgetting to call a friend, can lead to very different subjective interpretations. Watch this. And it is those interpretations, rather than the objective events themselves, that can give rise to our feelings and our behaviors. I want to tell you, you maybe had some failures, you maybe had some difficulties. But don't interpret those that that's the final word over your life and what God has for you. And I just thought as I watched this movie, The Pursuit of Heaven, why did Chris have an optimistic mindset? Why did he have this growth mindset? Why did he have a willing to learn mindset? Where were the seeds for that mindset in his life? And so I did some research and I found out this, that his mother, despite both her very unhappy marriage and her periods of absence, Betty Jean was a positive source of inspiration and strength to her son, Chris. She encouraged Chris to believe in himself and sowed the seeds of self-reliance. Gardner quotes her as saying, You can only depend on yourself. The Calvary ain't coming. Gardner also determined from his early experiences that alcoholism, domestic abuse, child abuse... Uh, illiteracy, fear, and powerlessness were all things he wanted to avoid in the future. What did he what did you see? He had seeds of a mindset that you can go get it. You can't expect it, a check just to show up every time. You got to go get it. Seeds as he had some early success through that mindset. He graduated first in his high school class, but it was a very small But it's those seeds that when he found himself homeless, when he found himself now facing these obstacles, it was the seeds of that mindset that said, listen, this sucks, this is difficult, but it's not the end. Change is available. Stability is available. And he had the power of context every day he got up. He put put on one of his two suits when he got this internship that didn't pay him, and watch this, he went in a place where everybody else around him was working, 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 going after it, getting on the phone, making sales calls. And listen, it's the power of context. you got to get around people that will challenge and remind you that if God has something for you, you got to go get it. Don't give up in your pursuit. Persist. 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 Romans twelve two tells us as believers, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Thank you, sir. Chris. Hey, Jay. Chris. Sit down. I thought I'd uh, wear a shirt today, um, you know, being the last day and all. Well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. But um, wear one tomorrow, though, okay? Because tomorrow's going to be your first day, if you'd like to work here as a broker. Would you like that, Chris? Yes, sir. Good. We couldn't be happier. So, welcome. Was it as easy as it looked? No, sir. No, no, sir, it wasn't. Good luck, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, sir. Oh, Chris, I almost forgot. Part of my life, this little part is called happiness. called happiness. Happiness is defined as the quality of state of being happy. Pleasure, contentment. There's difficulty sort of with that definition when you take the time to really think about it. Because in one sense it says the quality of state. That means consistent. But then it mentions contentment. So it's difficulty at times for us to work through it. Because we think that the pursuit is to have this constant tingling, emotive, emotional feeling of happiness. And if you live long enough, you should understand that if that's possible, we've not yet met someone that's really demonstrating that but if contentment can be the state if it's not necessarily about this emotional experience but there's an underlying contentment then maybe we could pursue that in the movie in one of the opening scenes before Chris's son mother leaves they on He's taking the boy to the daycare, and he comes upon the wall right outside of the daycare, and it says, happiness. It's spelled H-A-P-P-Y-N-E-S-S. That's exactly how I would have spelled it as well. The daycare was of people who English was not their first native tongue, for someone who English is the first and still learning I understand the difficulties of spelling words in English but I didn't realize until after the movie and I began to reflect that that set up the whole title of the movie because when I saw happiness on that wall the why stood out to me and I began to think See, he had this little period called happiness, and for him, happiness in the pursuit was getting a stable job. And he overcame all these obstacles to get that stable job there with that brokerage firm. But once he got the job, that initial feeling goes off. The the pursuit, what he was pursuing, he achieved it. So what happens now after what you're perceiving you achieve? Do you no longer have happiness? Is there no longer a pursuit? And it hit me, listen, to not just have happy moments, but to have a more ready state of happiness in the English language, to have this happen, to go from a happy moment to a state of being happy and being content, You have to change the Y to I in the English language. To go from happy to happiness, the Y becomes an I and you add N-E-S-S. The issue is for followers of Jesus, listen, the biblical language, to go from experiencing a moment of being happy to a state of being happy and content, you actually have to change the I to a why and the movie gets it right on this listen to me there are two things for you and I to not just have a happy moment and happy experience but to have a more greater state of contentment and experience multiple moments of happy feeling and it's the why of pursuit your pursuit in life regarding what you've assigned value to it's got to be big enough for all the seasons and trials of life if your pursuit is just to get the company established if your pursuit is just to make a certain amount of money if your pursuit is just some objective then once you get it listen The why of your pursuit's not big enough. Now you're empty. Now you're empty. That's why the highest number of suicide is white males, 40 to 50. Because their why of pursuit's not big enough. They get the job, they get the bonus, they get what it is that they were pursuing, but their why why of all of this is not big enough. Ezekiel 33:31 31 says that there are people that come and hear preaching and the presence of God, but their pursuit is for their own gain. See, their English language, happiness, what's in the center, I. I want to tell you, if our pursuit is just about I, it's not big enough to sustain us. There will come valleys and difficulties where if I is the only thing that motivates you, it won't be big enough to sustain you through the valley, through the obstacle. It won't provide the persistence needed. But you know why Chris Carter pursued? It's because in that moment, yes, it was about a job, but he had a bigger pursuit than just I. He had that boy. He had a why that's bigger than him. He had a why outside of him. And I don't know what man's in here. I don't know what woman's in here. I don't know what mother. I don't know what business owner. I don't know who it is. But your pursuit's got to be bigger than your eye. It's got to be connected to other people around you. It's got to be for a better community, a better world. It's got to be for the glory of God. Come on, man. In conclusion, 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says this. See that no one... For all, we need a big enough why, both for ourselves and for all. You and I need a big enough why for the long haul of life. You need a big enough why for the big world view that the Bible gives. I think Chris has some of that. Go read some of his story on the board of the National Fatherhood Initiative. That's a why bigger than himself. He helped fund a $50 million project in San Fran for low-income housing. That's a why bigger than I, but I hope that ultimately he finds a why that's big enough for the age to come. That a why for all of this is attached to Jesus Christ. Because listen, today I'm talking about pursuing things under the sun. That you can go get opportunities. But as far as Jesus, I'm talking about pursuing some intangible things. Listen. That can only come from God. But it still takes pursuit. you got to pursue the presence of God more than any obstacle. you got to pursue getting in the Word of God more than obstacle. you got to pursue getting around other believers that will hold you accountable. Listen, I'm convinced and I look back on my life and I look around at the lives of others. The reason most people don't pursue and persist in the pursuit that God calls us to, listen, they don't have a big enough why or reason to change. And most people don't have a big enough reason why to change because they don't have enough accountability around them to keep putting the mirror before them. Most of us here today, listen, we're secure in knowing that when we leave our body, we're going to be with the Father in eternity and Jesus Christ. But yet, so many people keep allowing obstacles of character, obstacles of things that God's called us to to stay in our way. And I want us to be a community that's not like that. I want us to be a community that has enough pursuit, but enough perseverance in our pursuit. It says, you know what? We want to run after and obtain everything that God has for us. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.